As you're being seated, if you will open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9, let me ask you this question. What areas of your life is God wanting you to dream bigger, to think beyond you and dream? You know, whenever we are kids, we have no problem dreaming at all. I watch my three-year-old run around the house sometimes, and he's always dressed as a superhero. You know, he's got Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, and he just runs around the house, and he has no problem whatsoever just dreaming. I I remember whenever I was little, and I, I dreamed easily. It just came naturally. My dad's a pastor, and I remember going to the church with him, and he would be in the office studying And I used to dream of being a preacher. I would hang from the pulpit and my feet dangling and I would just preach to the empty pews. And when you're a kid, it's easy to dream. Yet somewhere along the way, uh, we, we forget to dream. And that's sad because dreaming is really part of being made in the image of God. You see, we as human beings, we are, the Bible says, God created them male and female. He created them in His own image. And because of that, we have a spiritual side that is hardwired to worship. We also reason, we rationalize, we we, uh, philosophize, and we dream. We think about life beyond the simple cause and effect syndrome. We think about what can be. That's unique to human beings. My dog, my, my Labrador retriever, Allie, she doesn't sit around thinking about how she can somehow use her life to end the tyranny of cats in this world, you know? It's just not something that she does. Uh, uh, ducks don't write ballads about Willie Sigh and the gang, you know? They just fly. They just, they just live their life. But we as human beings, we dream, we philosophize, we think about what is the meaning behind all of this. And yet one of the tragedies that happens is that we quit dreaming. As we grow up, We bring our world in and we kind of become a human doing rather than a human being. We just go through the daily grind week after week, year after year. Now last week I spoke to you on the subject of beyond me. And we talked about how the kingdom of God always calls us to go beyond ourselves. One of the beautiful things about grace is, is that nobody is beyond its reach. It doesn't matter how wretched your past, how helpless your present, you are not beyond the reach of grace. Salvation is available to anyone. Anyone who believes can be gloriously transformed by the grace of God. The grace of God is intended for you, but it is not intended to stop with you. You see, grace is the greatest gift that we've ever received. And yet sometimes it's the last thing we're willing to extend to other people. But God brings grace into our world and it transforms our life. And then it is supposed to go beyond me so that the grace of God is being shared with others as well. The kingdom of God is meant to expand. And so this week I want to talk to you again about faith. And I want to talk to you about how God can multiply our faith when we invest it in the kingdom of God. When we invest what we have, whether it's large or small, God can take it. He can multiply it by His power, and He can use it beyond anything that you could ever imagine. And so here's my challenge for you today. I want to challenge you to dream. Specifically, I I want to challenge you to dream 
what could God do with my life if I invested the totality of me into the kingdom of God? Luke chapter 9 is our Bible story today. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. It's a familiar story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. The Bible says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. And he took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and cured those who needed healing. Now, remember, Jesus had sent the disciples out, and they were to share the good news of the kingdom of God. I called it last week the Beyond Me Tour. So they come back from having gone beyond themselves. They're pumped up. They're excited about all that, all that they had experienced, all the power of God that they had been a part of. And so they come to Jesus, and they want to tell him all the stories. So Jesus says, okay, let's withdraw. Let's go on a retreat. There's this tranquil town on the other side of the lake. Let's go there. Let's retreat, and let's have some time of privacy. Now, just aside here, Jesus often withdrew from society to engage with God spiritually. And in our lives, we need time daily that we set aside to read the scriptures and pray. You also need to, in the calendar of your year, set aside some times where you can unplug from the world around you and plug in to Christ. Jesus did this often, and I think we should as well. Now, at this point in time, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. He has over a million followers on Twitter. Everywhere he shows up, People always are pulling out their phones and they're going Facebook Live because you never know when he's going to do a miracle and we want to be live whenever it happens. Obviously, I'm joking, but the point is he was very, very popular. And so the crowds find him and they follow him. Basically, the crowds were stalking him. Now, did Jesus get upset? Was he resentful? No, the Bible says that he welcomed the people. And then there were two things specifically that the Scriptures say that he did. Number one, he preached to them about God's kingdom. He preached to them about the reign of God in our hearts, how God desires to transform us from the inside out, and he also desires to empower us to live under his truth in this life as well. And then he also cured those who needed healing. You see, Jesus understood something about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not about building great buildings and budgets. The kingdom of God is about building great people. People who love God with all their being. People who love the one and others in their life. And people who go beyond themselves and are able to love others as well. And so Jesus was constantly meeting people at their point of need and helping them go to where they should be. But the disciples, they are a bit annoyed you say, well, why, why were the disciples annoyed? Well, number one, this was supposed to be their time alone with the Lord. Hey, th- we want the Lord to ourselves. So they got annoyed at the people who show up and get in their way. You've heard about the life group class that decided to do a 10-week Bible study on how to reach pagans with the gospel. And then they got annoyed because a couple of pagans showed up in their life group and started diverting the attention. You get the point. Sometimes we, we want to spend all of our attention on ourselves and We never actually engage in ministry. We talk about it, but we never actually do it. Now, the second thing that bothered them is that Jesus' sermon kept going and going and going 
and going. Jesus preached through lunch. Jesus even preached through the cowboy game. You know, he preached a long time. Sometimes people tell me, hey, Lash, don't worry about the clock. You just preach as long as the Spirit leads you. I know what they're saying, but that's a lie. Because if you preach too long, eventually people get a little bit upset. Well, the disciples hold a committee meeting, and they decide that, that all 12 of them need to do an intervention. And so the Bible says in verse 12, it's now late in the day, and the 12 approached and said to him, send the crowds away so they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place here. And Jesus, here, look how Jesus responds in verse 13. He says, you give them something to eat. Now, Jesus is going to test the disciples' thinking. Hey, men, you've been following me here now for some time. Are you still living in the kingdom of me, or are you living in the kingdom of God? And so he tells them, you give them something to eat. In Mark's gospel, he told Philip, where are we going to buy food so that all these people can eat? Now, when Jesus does this, he throws the disciples into crisis mode. Understand this, when, Jesus, when God tests you, when he tests to see whether or not you're living in the faith world, it's going to throw you into crisis mode because it's going to put you into situations that are beyond your self-competencies. And so the disciples now were in a precarious situation. They say, the Bible continues in verse 13, they say, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. These are five little loaves of bread and not the kind of fish that you guys catch that's just, you know, gets bigger and bigger by the year. This is, these are two little bitty fish that they have. So that's all the resources they have. And then say, unless we go and buy food for all these people. And now here's the problem. For about 5,000 men were there. That's just the men in the audience. So we're speculating that there was over 10,000 people in the audience. And Jesus has told them, you feed them. Now they are in a deserted place. They have over 10,000 people to feed, and they have extremely limited resources, five loaves of bread and two fish. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 is a verse that we all need to know. It says, for we live by faith, not by sight. Now, it's talking to Christians. And so the Bible says to Christians that we live by faith, and not by sight. Now, I have to admit to you, this is one of the hardest verses in the Bible for me. To live by faith and not by sight. I get sight. I understand that. In American culture, we start teaching our children in preschool to solve problems by sight. Gather your available resources. Figure out the problem. What makes sense? What is logical? How can you solve this? And so we train our children all through elementary school. We train them all their lives to solve problems by sight. In fact, many adults refuse to believe in God because they cannot empirically prove Him. 
And so adults will say, if I can't see God, if I can't observe God, if I, if I can't put him through scientific method and prove him, then I will reject him and I'll be an atheist, an agnostic, and I just will not believe in him because we've been trained, our society has been built to walk in sight. But in the kingdom of God, the Bible says, we walk by faith and not by sight. In the kingdom of the world, though, we're taught to walk by sight and not by faith. And so somewhere around age four, we put our Superman cape up, and we're taught to quit dreaming, quit thinking about the world beyond you, think, quit thinking about the impossible becoming the reality, and instead, just start surviving. And so we grow up, and we become bored adults living lives of quiet desperation, our houses full of stuff. We're connected to a thousand people at all times on our mobile phones. But inside we're lonely and often feel hollow. And we're hopelessly disconnected from the dreams of our childhood. You remember those dreams? Remember whenever you were a little kid and you felt like you could really make a difference? You remember whenever you went into teaching? Whenever you entered law enforcement, whenever you began your journey in medicine, and you thought, I can make some difference here. And then you kind of get stuck in the grind of everything. And those days of dreaming seem like a distant memory. And all you have is what's right in front of you. The daily grind of walking by sight. So the disciples take inventory of what they can see. And here's what they conclude. Number one, the sun is going down. Number two, we are in a wilderness environment. Now, if you've ever spent any time in the wilderness, when the sun goes down, you better be prepared. Because nighttime is a whole different world. And so not only are they in a wilderness environment without food, without shelter... But they also have 10,000 people in the wilderness environment with them. This is a major problem. Now, Jesus has been preaching so long that everybody's hungry. Now, when you get hungry, it's not long before you get hangry, right? You get hungry and you start just getting a little bit irritable. And so then they think to themselves, we really can't afford to feed all these people. Mark says that it would take 200 denarii to feed all these people. 200 days worth of wages. Let's put it into our own terms. $55,000 to feed the crowd. Even if Chick-fil-A gives you a great discount, that's a lot of money for one meal. And how are we going to raise $55,000 just for lunch? So all we have... Or is this one little boy's lunch? Five loaves of bread and two fish. So, they all agree. There is a practical solution here. There is a sight solution. So they come to Jesus. And here's the solution. It's simple. Jesus, you stop preaching. Sermons shouldn't require that everybody bring lunch. Number two, send the crowd away. 
send them away. There's some nearby villages that they can walk to. They can find lodging there. There's markets where they can buy food. Everybody will be happy because you supported the local economy. This will be wonderful. Number three, you can let them use their own money rather than our money. And number four, we can get on with our retreat. Okay, We can send everybody away. We can go on with our retreat and we can talk about ministry instead of doing all this ministry. Okay, So Jesus receives the site solution. And he takes out his red pen, and he bleeds all over their proposal. You ever have that happen to you in school? I've heard it's really bad. But, you know, but, you, know you submit a paper, and you, know, you bring it to the professor, and here it is. And you think it's a pretty good paper, and it comes back, and the professor has just like exploded an ink pen all over it. I mean, it can be very disheartening. But Jesus looks at it and says, this, is, this will not do. Let me show you the faith solution, boys. So the Bible says, then he told the disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. And then they picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. You say, Lash, what's going on here? This is called a miracle. Okay, uh, you say, well, well, miracles are hard for me because I, you know, I live in, in the natural world. Uh, Christianity requires that you embrace miracles. Last time I checked, a man being crucified to death and then rising from the dead is a miracle. Okay, to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord of all, it requires that you believe in miracles. Ultimately, if you can believe the first verse of the Bible, the rest of the miracles are really easy. If in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if you believe in the existence of God, and ultimately logic leads you to God, if you believe in the existence of God and you believe that God is powerful and created everything, then the rest of the miracles of the Bible are pretty simple. If God can create you out of nothing, I think he can create a meal out of a little boy's lunch, can't he? So we have a miracle here, and we see the faith solution. The faith solution took what little they had and invested it in the power of God. And God's power multiplied it beyond anything that they could have imagined. God provided more than anyone could have dreamed. And God provided in a way that no one saw coming. God even provided with abundance. The disciples all received a take-home box that they could take on their retreat and enjoy a nice meal. It's amazing what God can do whenever you will take what you have and give it to Him. Now, I'm not just talking about money, although God encourages us to give generously with our money. But you also have your past. You have your talents. You have your spiritual gifts. Your perspective. Your time your children, your home, your abilities. When you take those things and you invest them in the kingdom of God, it is amazing what God can do. God can use your investment beyond anything that you can see. Are you going to walk by sight or are you going to walk by faith? In sight, we see the impossibilities, but in faith, we see the possibilities. In sight, we look at people around us and we say, they're beyond hope. Nothing can change them. 
but in faith, we believe in the power of the gospel to transform anybody's life. In sight, we see a world that is dark, that is awful, often unjust, a world where every corner of society has been saturated in some way by the depravity of humankind in a heart where our own life has been stained by sin. But in faith, we see the world to come. We see the world of eternity where there is peace and joy and there is no more pain. And so we journey through this world of trouble in faith knowing that there is another world to come. In sight, you see your limitations and you ultimately feel you have nothing to offer. But in faith, you see God's power and you're willing to offer what little you have praying that He will use you beyond your capabilities. In sight, you put away your cape and you stop that foolish thinking. It's the thinking of a child. In faith, you dream on. You dream on, knowing that unless I dream, my life will never go beyond me. In sight, you hopelessly exist eventually drowning in the kingdom of selfishness. In faith, you rejoice in hope. You're patient in affliction, persistent in prayer, finding the oasis of joy that's in the kingdom of God. I'm asking you to do today something that people have been trying to get you to quit doing all your life. I'm asking you to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm asking you to trust in something beyond you. I'm asking you to make your story God's story. I'm asking you to take what you have in this world, the blessings that define you, and invest those in the world beyond. I'm asking you to move beyond the treadmill to nowhere that we call earthly success and instead move into the realm of eternal significance. I'm asking you to spend your life building the kingdom of God instead of building the kingdom of me. You say, Lash, that all sounds good, but I can't. Oh, why not? Why not? Well, I'm scared. Well, the Bible says a lot about fear. It says in 1 John that Perfect love cast out fear. Listen to this verse from Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. You ought to highlight it in your Bible. The Bible says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. You don't need to be afraid. Trust in God's power. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added to you. God knows you need food, water, shelter. God knows that, that there are certain things that you have to do. God knows that there is a reality to the daily grind that has to take place. But there's also something beyond, and Jesus says, Seek that first, and those other things will be added to you. You say, Let's, I can't because I'm inadequate. You don't know my past. You don't know the troubles that I have within me. You don't know some of the darkness of my heart. I can't, do, I, I can't, I can't live my life in faith. I, I'm inadequate. Of course you are. 
That's what faith is all about. Acknowledging our inadequacies. I am not God. I I have to go beyond my self-competencies. I can't just simply live life by what I can see. I have to trust in something beyond me. If you try to control everything in your life, you're going to drive yourself crazy because you're inadequate to do so. There is only a little bit of life that is really under your control. There is a massive part of life that is beyond you. If you don't learn to live in the faith world, that massive part of life that's beyond your control is going to drive you crazy. We are all inadequate, and God calls us to trust not in our own competency, but to place our faith in His competency. To trust Him. To live in the realm of faith. Can you imagine... What God could do with your life if you would just take what you have and invest it in Him. You say, I've been through a lot of pain. If you've gone through a story of pain, you also are a person of great strength. Because you've gone through the pain. And the pain made you stronger. And now you have something to bring to other people's lives as well. Can you imagine what God could do, to you, do with you if you would walk by faith and not be consumed by sight? We don't know his name. The Bible just says he was a young boy. And he heard that Jesus was in town. So he wanted to be close to him. I can imagine the scene. Little boy runs out of the house. Mom yells at him, hey, hey, where are you going? I'm going to go hear Jesus. You're not going without a lunch. Let me get you something. She puts together a lunch for him, says, now, go and have fun. He arrives at the remote place, and there's a crowd of 10,000 people there. This little boy, they didn't have NFL back then. He'd never seen a crowd like that. 10,000 people. This is a massive amount of people. So he begins elbowing his way through the crowd, trying to get up to the front. And finally, he takes his seat there in the front. And for hours, he sits there and hears Jesus and sees Jesus. And he's fed spiritually. And then God brings him an opportunity. Now, he didn't see the opportunity coming, but here it was. He had the opportunity to take his lunch and invest it in the power of God. Now, it was his lunch. So what if everybody else is hungry? I've got five loaves of bread. I'm going to eat. But the little boy had an opportunity. And so he took it and he gave his lunch over to the Lord. He could never have imagined what God was going to do with so little. But God took the little boy's faith, and this is how God works. God multiplies investments of faith. And God took the little boy's faith and he fed the crowd. Now what's more? God has continued to use the boy's faith for 2,000 years. Over 2,000 years, billions of people have heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and they have been fed spiritually by this one act of faith. This act of faith outlived the moment, outlived the boy, and that's where you come in. Because you showed up at church today. And we opened the scriptures and we saw this story from the scriptures. And you've been spiritually fed by the word of God. So what now? 
Are you going to live your days walking in sight? Or are you going to become that one in 5,000 person? That person that walks by faith. I can only imagine what God can do with your life if you will invest you in the power of God. I can only imagine what He could do with you if you'd start dreaming God-sized dreams and invest yourself in faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads as we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come and lead us in worship. It might be that you're here today and you need to take that initial step of faith and become a believer. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. I would love to talk with you about what it means to become a follower of Christ. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you. And Father, we've seen this story from Scripture. And it bumps up against our comfort zones because we have been taught all of our lives to put the cape away and to walk by sight. And yet, Lord, that is really so insufficient for the realities of life. Because so much of the joy of life, so much of the opportunity of life is found beyond what we can see, beyond what we can control. And so, Lord, today we are challenged to invest our fears, invest our hopes, invest our dreams in you. We trust you to use our lives in ways that go beyond us. Father, we never know when the opportunity may come. The opportunity to give our lunch. The opportunity to give our time. To be a part of your story. But I pray, Lord, that as we go through life, that you will fill our life with meaning. Because each day you bring opportunities for us to live in the faith world and not settle for the sight world. Help us to trust you more. Help us to dream more. To believe that there is more than just what's right in front of us. And Lord, I pray that whenever we find ourselves surrounded by evil and we see the darkness of the world up close, you will help us to remember that there is a heavenly home that awaits. And that is where our true eternal citizenship is found. So Lord, we walk in faith as children of God. And we pray for your power to be seen in and through our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.